Well, I hope you enjoyed praying. We're going to be doing more of that during our time together this morning. We have the opportunity, and what I get to do this morning is finish uh, our, our spring series that we're calling Bear Fruit. We're looking through John chapters 14 through 17, and we'll be in the last part of John 17 this morning. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open up there or pull it up on your phone or something like that. If you've been with us over the past year, you know we started at the beginning of this year asking this question, what does it mean to walk like Jesus walked? We walked through that last six months or so of Jesus's ministry leading up to his crucifixion and resurrection. And we gathered here in this parking lot back in April to celebrate Easter, to celebrate Jesus's resurrection. And then the very next Sunday, we started this series, this Bear Fruit series, looking at this last longest teaching time that Jesus has with his disciples. It started back in John 13 with Jesus gathering his disciples together to celebrate the Passover. He washes their feet. They eat the meal. He, he institutes this thing that we call the Lord's Supper, this simple meal with the bread and the cup that we're going to get to celebrate together toward the end of our time this morning. And he went on from there in that upper room to teach them many things about what was to come. He told them especially about their need to abide in him. Remember that? To remain in him because apart from him, they could do nothing. But in him, they could bear much fruit. He taught them a lot about this helper, this Holy Spirit that Jesus would send to them, this third person in the Trinity, God himself to live within them, to empower them to witness, to, to guide them into all truth, to even be the one to convict people in the world of the truth of the gospel. And then in John chapter 17, Jesus turns from talking to his disciples to talking to his father. And there's that beautiful prayer that we've spent the last three weeks in. And I love how Jesus' prayer kind of breaks down. The first chunk of Jesus' prayer is him talking to his father in relation to himself about the mission that he has accomplished, about the glory he wants to receive. And then in the middle section that Bob took us through last week, Jesus talks to the father about his disciples and prays for the disciples. And then here in this last section, starting in verse 20, Jesus prays for another group of people. Look at this. Verse 20. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who's that? That's us. That's us. Jesus is praying for us right here in this passage. And not just us, but for our brothers and sisters in Yembe Yembe, for our brothers and sisters in Vanuatu, for our brothers and sisters throughout the history of the church around the world. You see, what Jesus is doing in this passage, he, he is praying, looking forward, knowing that when he sends his spirit to indwell his apostles, they will be faithful to witness for him. The spirit will be faithful to convict people of the truth of the gospel. And so Jesus prays for all of us who would believe this gospel. So before we get into this passage, just stop for a moment and just let that sink in. If you are a follower of Jesus, he's praying for you in this passage right here. And not just for you, but for us. That's key. Everything that Jesus says in this passage, everything he prays for us is about things that we must do together. The us-ness is key. So if you will, follow along with me, starting there again in verse 20. Listen to this. 
I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Oh, man, there's so much that Jesus prays for us in this passage. It's beautiful. It's majestic. But there's one rather simple thought that's been in my mind as I've studied this passage this week, and it's this. Here's what I keep coming back to. If this is what Jesus prays for us, then doesn't it seem like it's a good idea that this is what we should pray for as well, right? So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're not, I'm not only going to teach us through this passage, but we're going to take breaks along the way to spend some time praying to our Father in heaven about the very things that our Savior prays for us. We're going to practice some different modes of prayer. We'll pray in groups in just a, a few minutes. I'll pray over us as one of your pastors, and at the end, I'll give you some time for personal prayer. I put together a little handout, a prayer guide to guide us through these prayer times. Uh, you can see them on the little tables in the middle there with the communion elements. If you want to grab one of those, if you're on, the, on your phone and you still have the worship lyrics put up, if you just scroll down to the bottom of the worship lyrics, that same prayer guide is on there as well. But for our first time prayer time, I'm going to ask us to get in groups of maybe four or five people. Um, I'm going to give you about 30 seconds right now, if you would, just for this first part before I unpack this first theme of Jesus's prayer to get in these groups that you can spend some time praying together. Don't make them too big because we don't have too much time to pray. But I would encourage you, gather with more than just your family. If you're sitting near people that you don't know, gosh, there are a few better ways to get to know somebody than to pray together. So if you will, let me give you about 30 seconds right now. Feel free, just group up again, four or five people. I'll walk us through the first theme of unity that we see in Jesus's prayer. And then I'll give you some time to pray about it. All righty. Well, if you will, let's look again at this first theme of Jesus' prayer for us. There's three main themes that I see in this that we'll take time to pray through. Unity and glory and love. And the first one of unity, man, this is the one that I would say is most obvious in this passage. Like you, you'd, have to try, you'd have to close your eyes and try to miss that Jesus cares about unity in the passage we're looking at right now. Look again at verse 21. Jesus prays for us that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Jesus prays for us 
that our unity with each other, not just as one local church, but the unity of the larger body of Christ would be like his unity, his oneness with the Father. And not just like it, but an extension of Jesus' unity with the Father. You see that? Just like I am in you and you are in me, that they may be in us. If you remember a couple weeks ago, Chris took us through the first part of this passage. He, he talked about this idea of the relationship of the Trinity, the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being this beautiful dance of love, of giving honor and glory to one another. And he made this amazing claim that I don't know about you, it's still rattling around in my brain. I'm trying to figure out what to do with it. This amazing idea that what Jesus came to do was not only save us from our sins, not only save us from judgment, but include us into that dance of love, include us into the unity of the Trinity. That's mind-boggling. But Jesus makes this the foremost thing in his prayer for us because he knows even better than we do that our unity together is essential to the mission that Jesus gave us. You see that twice in this passage, in verses 21 and 23. Jesus prays that we would be one so the world may believe, so the world may know. In the midst of the divisiveness and the fighting and the fractured nature of our world, what Jesus is saying to his Father is, let them look at our people and see something different. See a unity and a love that doesn't make sense. And that will stand out as proof of the truth of the gospel. At least it should, right? But far too often, even we as Christians sometimes lead the way in divisiveness. We lead our culture in divisiveness rather than modeling this unity that Jesus calls for. And I would say to you this right now, that should grieve us. You cannot read this prayer and think, oh yeah, unity with other believers would be nice if it were possible. No, Jesus says right here, it is mission critical and our failures to properly value unity, it cuts the legs out from under our witness. And yet, this mission will not fail like Bob said last week. Why? Because Jesus prays for us. He guarantees this. We're not always perfectly one. But look again at verse 23. See what Jesus says there? He says, he prays that we may become perfectly one. Become perfectly one. There's a sense of progress, of progression here, that Jesus knows that we won't do this unity thing perfectly. But it is something we can grow up into. Something that we can mature into. I was thinking about a way to illustrate this this week, and I kept coming back to that movie that was big for me when I was in high school, Remember the Titans. Remember that movie? If not, it's basically the story of two high schools in Virginia that get forcibly integrated, forced together. They're now one school, and the two different football teams now suddenly overnight are one football team. And now they have to figure out how to play like one football team. They are one team, they just need to learn how to actually do it, right? I think in many ways, that's like what Jesus is praying for us. In Christ, through faith in the gospel, we are one family, one body in Jesus. But we have a lot of room to grow in learning to be one family. 
And so it's amazing because the question then is, what do we do? How do we, how do we grow toward this unity? If, G, if Jesus prays that we would become perfectly one, how do we move in that direction with him? Well, on your prayer guide, you'll, you'll see, I give you three passages. We don't have time to unpack them right now, but that all go into much greater detail about what this unity thing is all about. And I, what I see from these passages is that there are kind of three essential building blocks of unity. And you see them right there in your prayer guide. So I'll just say them quickly. First, to grow in unity, you have to value it. This has to be important to us. We must prioritize unity. Be willing to even say no to other things, even good things, so that we might have time and energy to invest in our relationships with one another, especially church, as we're hoping for this grand reopening on Tuesday. Will you just go back to filling your schedule to bursting? Or will you intentionally say, no, I will protect time and space in my life, in my family's life, so that our relationships with one another are essential? To grow in unity, we must value it. Second, unity requires diversity. This is what we see throughout the pages of the New Testament. We're not all the same. We are one body with many members and we learn how to work together not as we all try to do the same thing or look the same way or value the same things or pray the same ways or whatever it is, but as we learn both to celebrate the diversity in our midst and then like leverage it, use it for the sake of building one another up. But in order to do that, in order to not look at your differences from me and see them as less, I must have humility. I must think of you more highly than myself. That's why that third thing there, unity grows through the fruit of the Spirit. I've heard it often said that if what you want for your church is unity, don't just pray for unity, pray for humility. Because I guess you could say pride is like the roundup for unity. When we operate in pride, when we operate thinking that my way, my view, the way I do things is better than yours, that kills unity at the root. So what I want to do right now, thank you for getting in these groups. I'm going to give you about five minutes or so. Spend some time praying in these regards, these essential building blocks that we would value unity, that we would celebrate our diversity, and that we would especially pursue humility and gentleness. These next few minutes are yours, and at the end of that, uh, John's going to come up and pray for us, one of our elders, before we move on to the next theme. So take a few minutes and pray together. Let's pray together. God, what a perfect picture of your unity, God, your church here, just all sitting here praying together, spending time together. God, thank you for your teaching today. Thank you for who you are in our lives, God. God, thank you for having such a heart for unity and just the way you teach us and shape us in your truth, God. I pray that we would, that we would see that significance of unity in your truth and your scriptures, God, that you would teach us. I think about this last year and just the many ways that you've taught us, God, in your sovereign way. We know you're in perfect control of all things, God, and I pray that in this next year, God, that you would build us and shape us even more in your truth. God, that we would be a picture of family to this community, God. That you would raise up community leaders, God, that we would join and uh, just have an opportunity to serve and love our community, God. That you would 
you would allow us to be a visible, visible family of your church, God. We know you, God, you came to save a body, Lord, and thank you, God, for this opportunity to have a relationship with you, the way you sent your son to die for us, God, that made it all possible. God, thank you for the prayers of Jesus and your teaching today as we see the significance of time together and community, God. God, I also pray that we would understand your love for us. God, that we would share that same unconditional love with each other as you teach us perfect love and you teach us perfect unity. God, in order for that to happen, as we've, we've been taught, God, we, we pray for just the evidence of your fruit in our lives, the fruit of your humility and your patience, God. And we know that what a blessing it is to have diversity and different personalities and different backgrounds and experiences that you bring together to shape your church. God, thank you for how you work all those things together to build this body, God. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. We look to you, God, as we humble ourselves and we look to each other, God, for support. God, we know that you are faithful. Your spirit is faithful. Pray to acknowledge the work that you're doing in our lives together and individually, God, to be evident of your truth. We love you, Lord, and we thank you, God. We say these things in the name of your mighty son. Amen. Thank you all for doing that. I hope you can take these prayer guides and use them throughout this week as well because, gosh, John recorded this prayer for us so we would see this was not a one-time desire of our, of our Savior. This is his steady, ongoing desire for us as his people. So we saw this first primary theme of unity. The next theme that just shouts out from this prayer of Jesus for us is the theme of glory. This is so cool. Check this out. Look at verse 24. John 17, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Like in many ways, what Jesus says here, it echoes what he said at the beginning of his prayer back in verse five about his desire on the other side of his death and resurrection for his father, knowing his father would re-glorify him, give him that fullness of glory in his presence again. But the cool thing here is that Jesus is not just saying, I want that glory. He's saying, I want my people to be with me, to see it. How cool is that? The night before Jesus' crucifixion, this is one of the main things on Jesus' mind. God, I can't wait till they get to be with me and see how glorious I am. It's almost like in some ways, this is a cheesy illustration, but it's like you know, maybe as, as those of us who are parents, when you get your kid like a, a, a present for their birthday or Christmas that you know they really, really wanted, like when, you, when you're ready to give them the present, you're excited too, right? Your excitement is different than theirs. Theirs is the excitement of what is this? And your excitement is I can't wait to see the look on their face when they open it, right? Maybe, maybe a little bit better than that would be if you, 
to, to share something truly awe-inspiring with someone. Like maybe you love the Grand Canyon, and right now you're thinking, oh, if I could just take this friend or that friend and stand on the rim with them, they would see the glory. It's not enough just to see documentaries or postcards. No postcard can fit that on it, right? Remember, the, the, actually, the only time I've been to Yosemite, I was driving and came through that tunnel. You know that tunnel? You come through the tunnel, and you come out the other side, and there's the view. And I'm still surprised I kept the car on the road, right? We've never taken our kids to Yosemite yet, but my wife and I have talked about that. We're going, oh, my gosh, it'd be so cool to share the glory of Yosemite with our kids. And in an infinitely greater way, that's like what Jesus is saying here, Father, I just can't wait to share my glory with them. I can't wait to see the look on their faces when they see the look of my face, right? Like, let that sink in for a second. Do you realize how much your Savior wants to share the fullness, the greatness of who he is with you? And so my question to you is this, again, if this is what Jesus wants for you, do you want this? Do you want to see Jesus's glory one day? Not just in the, okay, yeah, I'm sitting at church and Christian, you're talking about it right now. So yeah, I want it. But like, seriously, does the, the pattern, the, the direction of your life, is your life shaped by the anticipation, what, what Paul talks about in Titus chapter two, by this waiting and longing for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Does that shape your life? I pray that it would. Again, if this is what Jesus prays for us, it's good stuff for us to pray for too. Pray for the return of Jesus. Pray that the Spirit would stoke your desire to see the greatness of who he is. But in addition to that, there's also a way that Jesus talks about glory, not just in terms of that future glory when we stand with him in his presence, but in a right here, right now way. Check this out. Look at verse 22. In verse 22, Jesus speaks of a glory that the Father has given him that he has already given to us. And he says that he's given us this glory so that we might be one, so that the world will know. What is this present glory that Jesus is talking about here? Let me see if I can unpack this briefly. If you're familiar with John's gospel, you know he starts with a bang. John chapter one, he gives us this vision of this one called the word who is God and is with God and then becomes flesh, Jesus, God in human flesh. And he says, he came and he dwelt among us and we saw his glory. The next chapter, as Jesus does his miracles, John says, Jesus did these miracles to reveal his glory. There was so much glory to be seen in the person of Jesus. But here's the thing. Most people missed it. They had Jesus right in front of them. They could hear his words. They could see his face. They could see the miraculous things that he did. And they missed the glory. They didn't see it. The way that Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is that their eyes are blinded to keep them from seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But in that same passage in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about how the Spirit is the one who takes the blinders off. 
He removes the blinders from people so they can see and go, oh my gosh, that Jesus, though from the outside he looked like a normal or ordinary man, he is the glory of God. They saw and they believed and they were never the same again. And if you are a follower of Jesus here, whether you've seen, you haven't, we haven't seen Jesus face to face, but I love the way that Paul talks about it again there in 2 Corinthians 4, this idea that the gospel, this message of Jesus is the gospel of the glory of Christ. Some of us have heard this message all our lives and we still don't see the glory. But for others of us, you know, there was that moment or these repeated moments where the blinders are taken off and you see in this glorious story, you see it not just as like good moral teachings, not just as inspiring stories, not as like the source material for Judeo-Christian values. You see the gospel of Jesus as the power of God for salvation, as the gospel of the glory of Christ. And so you're willing to sacrifice for it and you value it and you prize it and you say, he is worth it. I will suffer whatever needs to happen so that others can see that I can share this glory so that people of every tribe and tongue and language and nation might have a chance to hear this story of his glory. And Jesus says that unites us for all the differences that we have, for all the different backgrounds and ethnicities and upbringings. If you're a follower of Jesus, what unites us together is the fact that we see this message as containing the very glory of God. If you will now, if this is what Jesus prays for us, this is what we should pray for each other. And in this time, what I would love to do is just as one of your pastors, can I pray for us? that the Spirit would both stoke our desire to see Jesus' glory one day and, and unite us around the glory that we see already in the gospel we proclaim. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, thank you for being in our midst. Lord, thank you. So many of us were blind for so long or we were so familiar with your gospel that it just looked commonplace and we didn't see the grandeur of it. Spirit, thank you that in different ways, in different times, using different facets of that beautiful diamond of the gospel, you, you, you impressed us. You showed us the brilliance of who Jesus is. And you changed everything about us. Lord, would you unite us around the glory of the gospel? Would you make us, like Paul talks about, these jars of clay, these people who from the outside look, look no different. We're commonplace, ordinary people, and yet what we contain within us is this treasure, this power, this glory of God that other people might come into our midst, come amongst us and see and know and begin to follow this Jesus with us, and especially Jesus. We want what you want. We want to see your glory one day. We want to stand before you and know that you were worth it. That the struggle to live differently in this world, to not chase after everything this world has to offer, to see you one day and go, I knew it. I knew you'd be worth it. I knew you'd be worth living for. Even right now, maybe I, you hear these words and where different people are at right now is, no, I, I recognize I have sold it for a bill of goods. I've chased after so many other things. Would you re-impress us with the glorious of who, glory of who you are, Jesus? And would you lead us to yourself? I ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. There's one last theme that is so beautiful in this prayer, and it's the theme of love. 
for all the grandeur and greatness and standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon. And there's a train coming by, so bear with me for a second. But for all the grandeur of this huge theme of glory, this theme of love, of Jesus' love for us, is much more personal. It's much more intimate. But yet I would say to you, it is no less awe-inspiring than Jesus' glory. Take a look at verse 23. Jesus again prays in terms of our unity. He says, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me. And then look at this specifically at the end. That through our unity, the world will know that you, Father, loved them even as you loved me. Stop and think about that for a second. As we pursue unity together as God's people, what Jesus says the world is supposed to see, they're supposed to look in and go, there is something different about you. That is a different kind of love. The way that you bear with each other, the way that you demonstrate humility and patience and love and forgiveness, that's a love like we don't see around here. That couldn't have just come from you. You had to have learned that love somewhere. And we can say, yeah, we love because he first loved us. We are learning love from God. We are learning to love like God. Come join us. Jesus talks at the very end of his prayer about not only what he has done, but what he will continue to do for us. Check this out. Look at verse 26. Jesus says, I made known to them your name. Bob unpacked that for us last week. This idea that to make known God's name is to make known his character, who he is, what he's like. And the chief characteristics that John tells us elsewhere in his epistle is that God is love. So Jesus says, I will make known to them your name, your character, and I will continue to make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Think about that for a second. The chief characteristic of who God is is love. He defines what love is. You see, this is why, like, it, it really does no good to just quote that phrase that people love quoting right now, that love is love. It doesn't tell us anything, okay? We can say something so much better than that. Love doesn't define itself. God defines what love is. He, his character, not only that, I would say, again, we're back to this trinity, sort of this amazing dance of love between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you want to know what love is, it's that. And Jesus came to welcome us back into that dance of love. And he says, not only have I done it, Father, but even after I ascend up to you and I send my spirit, I will continue to make you known so that my people will know this love and the world to which I'm sending them will know this love as well. So here's the question I want you to think about in our last personal time of prayer together. Do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe it? Do you sometimes struggle to believe that God loves you? Are there circumstances, experiences that you've gone through in your life that have made you question or doubt or wonder if you can fully entrust yourself to the love of God? 
Do you believe that God's love is the most defining thing about you? Is it where you start when you start to answer the question of who I am? That's what I see in the life of the Apostle John. If you're familiar with the Gospel of John, you know that John never refers to himself by name, does he? What does he call himself? He calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. That's who I am. I don't think he's doing that to say that somehow Jesus loved him more than the other guys. He's not saying I was the teacher's pet or anything like that. I think this is John as an old man thinking back on his life, reflecting on his life with Jesus from the moment that he and his brother James are just out there fishing and Jesus says, hey, leave those behind and come follow me. Throughout that whole experience of walking with Jesus, standing at the foot of the cross as Jesus looks down at him and says, John, can you take care of my mom? And he's writing this gospel saying, this Jesus is the son of God. He's the word who became flesh. He's the one who defeated Satan's sin and death. And you know what I can never get over my whole life long is that that Jesus loves me. And so if you want to know who I am, before I tell you my occupation, before I tell you my race, before I tell you my gender, before I tell you any of that, you want to know who I am, I am someone that Jesus loves. Do you see God's love for you as the most defining thing about you? In this last time, I'm gonna ask you to spend a couple minutes on your own. There's some prayer questions on the little prayer guide to prompt you in this. I know for some of you, you go, ah, absolutely. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and that's that. For others of you, you know this has been a lifetime struggle. Wherever you're at, Jesus knows. Talk to him. If you need someone and would like someone to pray with you, there'll be some of us over here at this little blue tent in the corner who would be happy to pray with you, especially if you're someone who's not yet a follower of Jesus and you want to know, what is this love that you're saying should define me? We'd love to talk with you and pray with you. But these next couple of minutes are yours. And then Billy's going to lead us in one last song in which we say that God's love for us defines who we are. So take some time to yourself.